Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion about rewiring your brain and how understanding your brain will help you fully live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. Okay, everybody, good morning. At least good morning where I am from the West Coast. Good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you are. Welcome to the Recovered Life discussion, Rewire Your Brain. Uh, my name is Christina Dennis. I am a recovery coach who specializes in breaking codependent patterns and my co-mod, Deanna, is here with us. You know, Deanna, I was thinking about how grateful I am that you raised your hand. Can you believe it? Ten weeks ago? I can't even believe it. Like, we're still probably more like 12 since we've had to do two chap one chapter within two weeks. I really have enjoyed, you know, kind of exploring these topics with you. And I just want to let you know how grateful I am um, that you said you would be willing to do this with me. It's, um, it's powerful stuff and it's deep and many times uncomfortable. And I just so appreciate that you've been willing to come up here and share your heart and help me mod this room. So thank you. I appreciate you, Christina. I, I feel like what you're saying is exactly how I felt this morning getting ready for this room. I was just feeling so grateful that you asked me and what has transpired in these past 12 weeks from reading this book and just engaging in conversations. I've had people, just so you know, I don't even think I've told you this. I've had people reach out to me after listening to the replays of Recovered Life and say, hey, I heard you in Christina's room and or on that episode, and I really appreciate you for being open. And And I think people um, appreciate the way that we engage with each other. And I have gained so much from this. So I feel so appreciative of you, Christina. Oh, thank you. Um... I'm so glad you brought that up. This is, just to get some ground rules out of the way, this is recorded and rebroadcasted. And so the way the room has, has been handled is uh, every week we bring a chapter from the Atlas of the Heart book, which is Brene Brown, Dr. Brene Brown's latest publication. And uh, we have a good discussion about it. Um, I, uh, as well as Deanna, have been studying it, taking each chapter, slowly breaking it down, and really trying to, for me, apply that to my recovery, but also to just new ways of thinking. So please use first names only for those that feel comfortable in joining the discussion everybody's opinion matters and thoughts matter in this room. Um, if you feel comfortable just sitting by and listening, that is perfectly cool too. But if you feel like you wanna join the conversation, raise your hand or be thinking about raising your hand because we're gonna bring you up. And um, you know, I don't want this to be a situation where I produce you know, this, this episode in thoughts of, okay, everybody's gonna sit here and listen to me. Uh, one of the things that has been vital in my recovery has been a, is being able to listen to others and to really dive deep into emotions. So uh, be thinking about that. Use first names only and, of course, be respectful. Uh, we, uh, we're happy if you feel a different way. I want to hear it all. And uh, all that we ask is that you be kind in your remarks and uh, keep them in I statements uh, as well as, you know, respectful to everybody that's here speaking. Um, this, this week, we're going to finish chapter 10. And uh, I'd love, Deanna, if you want to. Deanna has the written form, which has been great for, uh, <laughs> for me to lean on because I do, I listen to the chapters over and over again. And so I would love it if you would just remind everybody uh, what chapter 10 is about um, and the name of it and the emotions that we are going to be going over. Uh, the reason why we decided to do this room, and I'll say this really quickly up front before 
uh, have you take over is that we believe that, and, and I truly believe this, that having language around words and emotions, having names for them, being able to lab label them, helps us access information so that we know how to make that next step. And it's been incredibly healing for me to discover things. You know, I, I, I will take some of the lessons I've learned even at multiple decades of sobriety. I've literally had my mind shifted. So with that, Deanna, do you want to share the title of the chapter and the quote emotions that we will be diving, diving, diving deep into? Yes. So today we are on chapter 10, places we go when the heart is open. Love, lovelessness, heartbreak, which we all discussed this last week. This week we'll be discussing trust, self-trust, betrayal, defensiveness, flooding, and hurt. Ooh, these are good ones. Yeah, I really loved um, that, just that description of flooding. Like that was, was big um, for me to kind of think back and uh, assess. You know, I listened, re-listened to the chapter this morning as I was preparing for the room. And I was like, oh my God, what a good word to describe what happens and what has happened to me when uh, emotions are coming in and there's like this, this a power powerlessness to stop it and having you know thinking about it before and having some kind of plan when i'm flooded so helpful and i never would have described it that way but i believe it now so last week as deanna said we finished with heartbreak there was a beautiful essay that um, Brene published in Rising Strong that she re, uh, repeated in this room. And uh, very quickly, I pinned a link where the notes are placed. So if you haven't been here for the last 12 weeks, don't worry about it. Each chapter is self-contained. But if you're interested in getting the information and seeing it as kind of a study guide or a thought, you know, kind of more information if you want to read the book alongside of it, hit up the Recovered Life membership. It's completely free and all you have to do when you go there is um, either follow me or add the topic addiction neuroscience or neuroscience addiction. I'm not exactly sure what it says and you'll find all nine chapters and later on today I'll be placing the 10th chapter. But we're going to pick up with trust which is such a huge word in recovery for me. And uh, the reason why she went from break, uh, heartbreak to trust is because of what I believe is true is that without trust, there is no heartbreak. So a heartbreak can only occur when we have trusted someone um, to, you know, the definition is choosing to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person's action. Um, distrust is defined as a general assessment that what's important to me is not safe with this person in this situation or in any situation. Uh, moving forward, the data suggests that trust is more of a cognitive assessment than an emotion, which I thought was helpful because I hear it and I know it because I felt it. It was my experience that I was not trusting of others. Um, in fact, when I first got sober, I was not trustworthy. And so moving forward, understanding that when we choose to trust somebody or not trust somebody, we can have more of a cognitive assessment around it rather than it's just a feeling. Um, trust is more of a cognitive assessment than an emotion. But as we all know, conversations about trust can bring up a lot of emotions especially defensiveness. And with that, I want to turn it over to Deanna and get your reactions. And also, this is the time for people to come up if they're interested. Um, if you have a bad connection, we'll move quickly on to the next person and check back with you. But I want to let everybody know that your opinion matters. So Deanna, what is, what is your thoughts about the word trust? Thank you, Christina. Um, trust, making something you value vulnerable to someone else's actions is what I wrote. And 
for me, I thought until you spoke, I thought my thinking on trust this week was very shallow in, mm. in what is coming to my mind. But now I realize it's not so shallow. It's more cognitive. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, I, I'm learning to drive again. It's been 16 years and I got Ooh. my driver's permit. Yay for me. I'm going to be able to do so much more, but I'm, I'm right where I need to be. But my husband said something to me the other day that I got defensive about it and it surprised me. He has this really big, expensive truck and I'm not, I'm not a truck person, but that's what we have right now. And so that's what I have to use to learn to drive. And there's heated things going on as I'm learning and just, and he said, you know, you should be grateful that I trust you to drive Mm -hmm. my truck. Mm -hmm. And I got so defensive, but now I, I, I got out of it quickly and I realized that, you know what, I am grateful that he trusts me because he's never seen me drive. We've been together for 16 years and he's never seen me drive. So I, I, now I'm learning to trust myself too. And that, yeah. So I'm just going to leave it at that. I'd love to hear what Daniel has to say about trust. Or back before to you, Christine. before yeah. we head over to Daniel, I want, you brought up such a good point because she brings this up in the book. It's difficult to talk about trust in our personal or professional relationships because it is such a big concept. If someone says, I don't trust you, it feels like a generalized assault on our character. And I think that's really, that is really understandable, right? I mean, if somebody says they don't trust me, I take that incredibly personal. And some of the, some of the, we'll dive deeper into it real quick. I'll run over to Daniel and see. Daniel, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. Good. Trust, huh? Uh, Trust for me, it's super interesting, right? Ever since... I got into recovery, like I, I stopped trying to control stuff. So whatever, if you want to take ownership of that, that's fine. Mm. As long as you don't try to hold me accountable for it. It's, it is what it is, right? Cause I, I'm not trying to control outcomes. And that's usually mm-hmm. what trust issues is trying to control the outcome or trying to control somebody else. So you protect yourself from mm. financial loss, uh, heart, ache, whatever. So I, I'm not worried about controlling other people. I can only, I have a hard enough time working on trust with me and myself. So sure. I'm not picking up that cross for anybody else. You figure it out, I'll figure it out. If we could uh, come to a mutual understanding, we could work together. If not, I just keep it pushing. You know what I mean? Mm, thank you. I'm done. Um, Kat, you came up when we started talking about trust. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Hi, good morning. Uh, yeah, I uh, thank you so much for holding this space, Christina, Deanna. Um, I love that we take a single, you know, principle or how she kind of takes a single principle and, you know, focuses on that. It's something that I had to do in the beginning of my recovery because um, I didn't come from a place where we sat around the dinner table speaking about principles or any of these words. They were part of my vocabulary, but I didn't quite know how they felt or what they looked like. Um, it was just kind of, its I don't want to say I didn't know the word. I, I knew it. I just didn't feel it or experience it. So I was very detached from it. And um, so trust was one of the you know, things I reflected on early on. And um, I started asking myself, what is trust? And I did that by like, drawing trust in the middle of this paper and like, just like drawing things um, that came to mind. And um, it was really interesting, because I was doing it in a public space, and people would walk by and we would have conversations about what trust was and it was so it was a really cool experience um and you know I've really gotten to uh grow with that word so for me like trust is something that I gave away very easily um and didn't know how to place my trust you know 
or I could swing back and forth like most alcoholics. I'm either like on one end of the extreme and finding that middle was difficult. Um, what I've learned is, um, I tend to trust people until they show me otherwise these days. And, um, you know, I, unless I have visual and solid proof of why someone shouldn't have my trust, you know, that it's all in the action for me today. And, um, you know, I just got out of a four-year relationship and the thing is like we both came from alcoholic families and um, we didn't know what trust looked like you know that wasn't something we had discussed so it's a foundational thing it's something that things can grow from and um, you know it's a really it's really important and I think it really does start with trusting yourself to make good decisions um, knowing who and what you are um, beautiful, beautiful word. I used to be very scared of it, um, because of things that happened in my childhood, but once you kind of move past that and get more, um, perspective, it doesn't hurt as much when your trust is broken, because, um, you understand the humanness of, um, you know, of trust. Anyways, I'm going to wrap it up. Um, there's others on stage, so thank you. Thank you, Kat. Before we move forward to Kathy, Pete, and Alice, um, because I think that this will just add to your response, I'm, I've asked Deanna to read the acronym that uh, Brene Brown suggests make up the elements of trust, because I think this is a perfect time to insert that, and it kind of gives a little more layered understanding of what really trust is and, and what has to happen before we um, can trust somebody. Kat brought that up beautifully. Deanna? Yeah, I love, thanks for bringing that up, Kat. And I love that we're going to sneak this in. So everybody hold on to your trust thoughts. Um, This is talking about self-trust. And this is the acronym that she uses called BRAVING. B stands for, did I respect my own boundaries? Was I clear about what's okay and what's not okay? R, was I reliable? Did I do what I said I was going to do? A, did I hold myself accountable? V, did I respect the vault and share appropriately? I, did I act from my integrity? N, did I ask for what I needed? Was I non-judgmental, non-judgmental about needing help? G, was I generous toward myself? It's so good. You know, it can be used with ourselves because Kat, you hit it on the head until we have some self-trust it's going to be incredibly difficult to do that within relationships. When I thought this acronym was, was a great, um, you know, accumulation of all the things that make up braving, you know, boundaries, are they respected reliability? You know, does the person say what they'll do and do what they say accountability, you own your mistakes, you apologize and make amends. I mean, it's so good to keep that because until I listened to this, I don't know how much I had spent, uh, how much time I had spent or really thought of why, why is it that I don't trust this person, you know, and they've had a violation in one of these areas or who have consistently shown me a violation, you know, Vault, um, I've heard many interviews with her where she talks about, you know, that person who shares other people's secrets and really taking that into account that if they're sharing other people's secrets, they're probably sharing your secrets. And then I love that she finishes it off with generosity because obviously, you know, I've misstepped and am I looking at this from a generous spirit, not only to myself, you know, it says you extend the most generous interpretation possible to the intentions, words, and actions of others. And I've definitely been wrong sometimes where I felt that somebody you know, shared or did something that made me lose my trust for them and then found out, oh no, they were coming from it from a totally different perspective or they really didn't know, you know, they really didn't think about it the same way that I thought about it. And perhaps that was a a situation where I hadn't placed my boundaries very clearly or I hadn't communicated them. So I'd love to move on to Kathy. Kathy, what are you thinking about trust and, and all of this info and new data that we have? 
I trust in the fact I hate going after cat. Uh, that's not going to change. Uh, always a great share. And the word foundational um, really struck me in that because it is, it it is a, uh, it, it is a cornerstone in, in in a relation. It's a cornerstone with our relationship with ourselves. I mean, I I back myself in ninety nine percent of situations. Do I trust myself? My codependency work would tell me no. Um, I'm not. I'm not there to trust myself yet. I trust in my powers that I. I trust in my powers to sort out my sobriety and a few other things. But I. I don't trust myself uh, emotionally, um, in any way, uh, shape or form. I'm. I'm a long way from that. Yes. Uh, from that yet. But. Um, yeah, it is. It is a bedrock word. Um, it's a you know, it's a word that that carries a lot of weight. Trustee, interest, um, all all of those things. Uh, you know, they're they're important things. And um, I think the the basis of trusting yourself first, because we can trust people. You know, I I trust people. I'm I'm the same. You know, I trust them until I'm wrong, and I've got my fingers burned many times. You know, I've been around the block. Um, trusted people's intentions, trusted them with money, trusted them with secrets. And yeah, I've been screwed over. Um, does that mean I don't trust naturally? No, it doesn't. Um, because I don't want to not be that person. I don't want to be, I don't want to treat people. I don't want suspicion to be my, my default. Um, so yeah, um, pretty garbled, I think. But um, thank you for holding the room, and I've loved all the shares so far, and this new information about trust. So thank you. Mm, I love that you presented that sometimes you know you can trust others more than you trust yourself, because I definitely discovered that in my codependency, I had acted untrustworthy toward myself. You know, I had turned that over to other people's responsibilities. So, you know, it was their their responsibility to keep me safe. And so it was really hard for me to connect with my gut and believe myself when I felt something. So I love that you brought that up. Pete? Hey, guys, I'm Pete. I'm an alcoholic. Grateful to be Happy sober. To have you here. Cool. Yeah, I'm here not to drink today so I can talk about these really cool topics so I can better my life and those around me. So trust for me, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this since I jumped on and it came down to belief in relationships. What I mean by that is like trust, you think about how you interact with other human beings and other pets, quite frankly, and how, how do they believe in you? And that's what it comes down to. And literally, do they believe you, <laughs> what you're saying? Do they believe in your intentions and your goals and your love? And those are all things I didn't have when I was out there, or I thought I did, but it wasn't reciprocated and, and, you know, it was their fault, right? I was pointing a finger and three fingers were pointing back at me. And like, I didn't learn that until I got sober. And I also learned that trust is earned. And um, particularly when you mess up as much as I did unintentionally because of my disease, I've learned that wasn't me. It was the disease. It's going to take time for me to gain trust back from those who love me for the mistakes I made. And, uh, and I realize that now. And I think more people are believing in me and believing in our relationship, whether that's professionally with my boss, with my wife, with my children, with my little league coaches that I coach with. Um, because it's the little things. I don't show up reeking a booze. <laughs> I, I don't drive my children drunk. I don't show up to work hungover or, or drunk like I did. And I gain trust that way because I'm making the best next decision. So, um, you know, I'll keep working at earning trust back. And uh, a lot of times I just hand it out for free. You know, I think like Kathy said, like I've been burned too, trusting people. I give them the benefit of the doubt. And unfortunately I've learned that's not the way life works. You cannot trust everyone. And that's okay though. Um, it can take time to, for others to earn your trust too. And uh, yeah, that, that's a really great topic. Thanks for, uh, th thanks for hosting the space. And uh, I'm really enjoying, I'll listen to it now. Thanks. Oh, Pete, thank you so much for your share. I I love that you said to believe in relationships, believe in the relationship. That resonates a lot with me and my cat as well, apparently. Um, and trust is earned. I wrote that down I, I real big on my page. And 
I, I'm just thinking of something like I'm in a space right now that I want to build those relationships you're talking about. And <clears throat> I never believed, well, let me, let me say this again. I want to earn people's trust, <clears throat> excuse me, that um, from an authentic space. So the other day I found myself, I'm sure I learned this from somebody else. I found myself saying, thank you for trusting me just with a simple task that somebody asked me to do, which was watch their dog. Um, I just said, thank you for trusting me. And the, the look on their face was like, that's so weird. I, I didn't, of course I trusted you, but me saying it affirmed myself that I am trustworthy. And the more I do that, the more I think it builds into the relationships I'm looking to build. So thank you for reminding us that of Pete. Um, and Alice is on the phone. We were going to pop over to her. But Ramon, while she is on the phone, if you would like to weigh in on this topic of trust we are talking about, um, are you available, Ramon? Most definitely. Interesting. And um, I, a while back, I've been thinking a lot about <clears throat> trust. And um, I kind of link it with um, different things. First of all, relation relationships and uh, when you when you look for example at a financial trust that's um, that's an arrangement between at least three people because there's somebody um, having a relationship giving something to another but somebody else is taking care of it um, <clears throat> and I found when I started analyzing my uh, addictive me and the ego part in me and the shadow side of me and I've had so many relationships within myself alone um, that weren't uh, trustworthy. Uh, I didn't trust uh, myself and what I've learned becoming uh, by becoming sober is um, <clears throat> I am to be trusted and I'm being fooled as well by, uh, by my ego sometimes and I, I I get that now. So the trust that I talk about for myself is a relationship with uh, several people. And the first thing I gained becoming sober was trust, learning to trust myself. And I still am aware of the pitfalls of my ego and all the other hats that I've worn uh, to fit in, um, make, it, make it difficult or, or challenging. Um, to uh, to keep that trust in myself, and by by doing so, by gaining that trust and learning to trust myself, I receive trust. Um, and again, that's based on relationships, and it starts with the relationships within myself, with all the bad stuff, having the the shadow part of me uh, lit, and um, and learning that way. And and after that, in in the world around me, even though that may be a small world, but. It starts with baby steps and uh, gaining that trust. And uh, by giving myself the trust, I can also learn to give trust to other people that are around me. So it's a, it's a big learning experience um, uh, for me. And, uh, and it's magic. It, it has to do with honesty uh, for me. And uh, I'm quite sure that uh, people may, may find that it's, when you're addicted, um, honesty is a, a difficult thing. So... Um, yeah, that's that's what it brings for me. Uh, this uh, this terminology. Mm, thank you, Ramon. That's beautifully said, and it's so nice that when we are in recovery, um, that we have time to to look at our actions and to figure out how we really want to relate with other people. You know, who do we want to be? And every time we do an esteemable act, uh, we are contributing to the world and to ourselves and that's part of the things that I believe we learn in recovery that these little uh, these little incidents and the big ones like the little ones are as important as the big ones learning to feed myself when I'm hungry learning to 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 say no when I need to say no um, allowing me to you know practice setting boundaries and respecting others at the same time and it does it takes time to build uh, trust and with that I want to kind of move on to betrayal um, and defensiveness because there were some things that showed up when she was sharing it that I had never heard of um, you know uh, betrayal 
for there to be betrayal, there would have to have been trust first. I had misquoted originally the heartbreak, but I think it's still an accurate thing. The core at betrayal is the violation of trust. And she goes on to share about the shock that happens to us. It's um, for those of us who've been betrayed, the shock that happens to us and, the, and literally feels like the ground is falling out from underneath us. And, um, you know, most of the time betrayal happens between romantic partners, friends and coworkers, and, and sometimes family members. And, you know, the extramarital affairs, the cheating in a partner, the lying, the betraying, uh, the rejecting or abandoning of a partner constitutes a betrayal and they can be both sexual, physical, emotional. And she brought up this concept, Deanna, I had never heard of called betrayal trauma. And I thought that was really an interesting way to look at the at it. You know, it was kind of like, oh wow, that that constitutes trauma, a high level of anxiety, depression, anger, sadness, jealousy, decreased self-worth, embarrassment, humiliation, shame. These are all trauma symptoms. Um, it can happen within a relationship. Certainly when, if you qualify for adult children of alcoholics and dysfunction, um, which a lot of us do, we can understand that we have betrayal trauma, but it's also institutional. And we've seen that in our world over and over again, you know, where uh, there has been betrayal trauma in an institution. Um, where the, you know, the strict membership requirement is dishonesty, you know, and things are covered up. And I thought, wow, that really has happened. But when it, betrayal is so hard to heal because rarely does anybody else want to be accountable and make amends with their actions. And, um, and I think that's really true, although I do believe everything is repairable, but it's that, that, that accountability and understanding for any of us just to recognize cognitively that when we've been betrayed, it's a really difficult thing to overcome. Um, she brings up defensiveness, which I think is, is something that I could completely relate to and um, talks about what defensiveness does. It's a way to protect our ego and our fragile self-esteem. And I thought that was a really good place to kind of get some feedback, um, Deanna, from, from you and anybody else on the stage who may want to pop in. Defensiveness is def when I find myself being defensive, I know that I either feel betrayed or that I don't have trust or I'm ashamed. And it's really, really hard for me to promote healing or even obtain healing when I'm in that defensive place. And Deanna, I was curious what you thought when you read the information about defensiveness, because it's certainly something that has plagued my interactions with others and the ability to build trust within relationships. Ooh, this one is, <clears throat> this one strikes home with me. And then I would love to go right to Alice after I uh, share this. Um, I've been, been telling her to come on up and talk. Um, what I wrote for defensiveness is it blocks me from hearing feedback, which in turn blocks me from making meaningful relationships. Um, yeah, that's that. It blocks me from hearing feedback. And, and honestly, when I started writing this, I wanted to put say everyone else's defensiveness and my husband gets defensive and my mom gets defensive, but I'm like, no, I'm going to own this defensiveness as my own and, and feel it when I find myself that I am getting defensive. Just being aware, Deanna, you're being defensive right now. What, what is going on inside that's, that's creating this space. Um, and just knowing that, just knowing and acknowledging that is a game changer. It's already a game changer since I've been reading this book. Um, so I would love to hear Alice, uh, what Alice would love to share about defensiveness or even going back to self and, and self-trust. But she might not be available. So I may just throw it back to you, Christina. <laughs> Yeah, I don't see I don't see on my screen that she's off the phone call, but we will wait. She'll pop on when she's ready. I so love that you brought up that it blocks us. It blocks us from gaining information 
um, in which we could see ourselves. And I, I can tell you, when I first got into recovery, I was so, I had so much shame around who I was and my embarrassments and my perceived imperfections. And to me, it felt so costly to be seen as not perfect. You know, and I know that sounds crazy because who is perfect? But I had this real belief that, um, that if I was seen as not perfect, then that meant I had no worth. And so defensiveness just delays the inevitable, which is the growth. And we can't have connection with each other unless we're willing to be vulnerable. It's, it's totally, you know, the, it's just a time delay, but it's really, really hard to give up. And they bring up in the book, uh, the opposite of defensiveness, which is grounded confidence. And the basis of grounded confidence is that we accept our imperfection and we don't diminish our self-worth when it's exposed or when somebody has some criticism to give us or has some kind of you know earnest connection seeking connection and sharing um, about how they're feeling with within something that we've done or you know some of our carelessness or things that we've done it really it really is a killer of intimacy and uh, alice are you free now i see the phone is off Okay. Well, I, um, I, I am, I'm sorry. <laughs> I am free. Great. Hi. Good morning or good afternoon am, where you are. It is afternoon. I am driving. I'm driving through the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, headed to Tennessee. And, um, it's so interesting. I mean, I'm so delighted I'm able to come on because the last couple of weeks I haven't been able to get on very often and um man perfect topic um i have had yeah a huge huge test in trust this week mm -hmm. and it's really for me it's trusting myself that i'm doing i am doing the right thing and trusting that it's all going to come together in divine timing and it has and i today at 9 35 walked out of my house for the last mm. time that I will see it as it is now with a lot of my belongings in it, which are going to be in an estate sale, but they're no longer mine. And I am trusting the woman that I've hired to do the estate sale with all of my belongings. And um, I'm just trusting that it's, it is the right thing. I know it is, but you know, that's such a big word in terms of, yeah, I'm trusting that all of this is the right. No, I don't even like the right, the, the word right. Um, that it, it is the, it's the path that I'm meant to be on. And I wouldn't be on it if I weren't sober, you know, and I'm getting very close to um, my three years of sobriety. Um, and I have no doubt that I will make it. Um, and it's really incredible to me to think about, I walked through my life in the last two and a half weeks, going through all of going through paper, you know, boxes and boxes of paper that I had saved of doing this or doing that and, and notes that I found from people and, and, you know, 15 boxes of handwritten journals that a friend is, we're going to have a burn party at her house. She lives on the bay and she already has a burn pile ready for me. So when I can get back, we're going to have a burn party because that's not my life anymore. And wow, to be able to do this and to do it completely clear and to trust myself is huge. And in trusting myself, I think someone used the word foundation. It's, it's like I'm building a new foundation. I have built a new foundation for myself. And it's just what an incredible gift. Um, you know, I, I never, we don't know when we're in the throes of alcohol, what's on the other side. And, you know, once we, once we taste it and once we get there and we trust that this is the path, it's unbelievable what happens. And um, 
I'm just so grateful, so immensely grateful and so grateful for Clubhouse and these rooms for you, Christy and Vienna and people who have dedicated their lives to the recovery of others as well as their own recovery. So um, yeah, thank you all so much for, I love this book. Um, I've been trying to either listen to it or read it as, as I've been going through this process and it's been such such a gift. So it's great to be able to, I'm not on chapter 10 yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> um, now I will have a little more time to read, but um, yeah. So uh, thank you all for doing this because it's really, um, it's, it's just, it's magical. It really is magical. And um, I, I thank you so much. That's, that's what I'm up to today, driving to Knoxville and Jack, Jack, Jack told me this morning, Hurry up, Mimi. I want to see you soon. <laughs> so. I love that. Thank you, Alice. It's been a true honor to watch you walk through this transition. And, and you're right. We can't do any of this without that first um, admittance and having physical sobriety. And this, it's an honor. It's an honor to do that with you. It's an honor to watch other people move forward and move things, you know. Uh, the whole world opens up when we have physical sobriety or whatever you are recovering from, when we stop delaying and hiding and avoiding. Um, and I do wish often, I've said this over and over again, I wished everybody in the world got to had a group of people that they could talk about these things with and and start to to know that we can we can start having these deep connections because ultimately, and, and Brene Brown's book drives this home chapter after chapter, it's connection. That's our purpose here is connection. And uh, I'm just thinking about that willingness to let go of our defensiveness. And before we move on to flooding, which I think is, is a really important part of this chapter, along with feeling hurt feelings, I want to share something that that she described, and I thought this was such a helpful hack into figuring out when we are becoming defensive. Um, and she does this with her C-suite people. That's a lot of what Brene Brown works with. She works with corporations. Um, and it just goes to show that it doesn't matter how successful you are or where you've gone. You know, you can be the CEO of a huge company and be, you know, struggling with humanity and and uh, betrayal and all kinds of things just like like I am and so it's really really cool to have her come in and bring these kind of activities and one of the things that she shares that'll help us all figure out when we're becoming defensive is to try to remember back she says increase self-awareness to think back to a time when you received a difficult feedback and try to remember what your body was doing what thoughts were coming up, what emotions you were feeling. And she shares that it's really hard to think back to times when we were receiving critical feedback and figure out what we were feeling or thinking. But often we can remember how we were physically standing, um, what, what our heart rate was doing. And those are clues. It's one of the reasons why uh, in recovery and one of the reasons why she wrote this book and one of the reasons why I attend the rooms that I attend and share about it is because our feelings may not be facts, but they are information and they allow us to untie, untangle some of the, the stuff that's going on. And she said, you know, that many people can remember folding their arms over their chest, shoving their hands in their po uh, pockets, tunnel vision, dry mouth. And it's worth thinking about these physical cues that show up about defensiveness and devising a strategy that can help us pull back into the present moment. Um, and how do you get from defensiveness to openness? And for her, her physical hack is that when she starts to feel defensive about feedback, she actually opens her palms for her hands. She actually opens them up and, um, and that gives her brain a cue that she needs to stave off defensiveness and receive the feedback so that she can grow. And I thought that's such a cool thing to share with the room because I think it gives us some power. Um, moving on, I wanna talk about a term flooding, which I can't frankly 
remember, although I'm sure because it comes straight from the Gottman Institute and I've studied the Gottman Institute, um, but I hadn't thought about this in a long time. And it's flooding is a sensation of the physiological and physical overwhelm during conflict, making it virtually impossible to have a productive problem solving discussion. And I'd love to hear feedback from everybody about whether they experience flooding. I know I do. I absolutely know that I have in the past where I really can't think of anything to say. I can't even hear what the person is saying. You know, she was sharing that in her family, uh, when there was an argument, they fought to the death, right? They, they fought until someone was crying. And when she married her husband, Steve, he... Uh, had been raised in a different manner. And so when an argument would happen or somebody was unhappy or had hurt feelings, he would want to stick a pin in it and come back. And she realized, you know, that maybe flooding is easier to see in the way he reacts, but she also was dealing with flooding because she would go on the attack. And I really, you know, I thought about what a great word to describe that feeling that we have when we are in conflict. I'd love to hear what everybody else has to say. Deanna? Oh, this one, this one got me. Um, flooding. This is, I put a big star next to it because, and then I wrote next to it, reason to take a break. I, I get flooded so quickly and I'd never heard this term before. So I'm so excited to introduce this into my life. So is my husband. Ha ha. Um, I, I start to cry. That's what I do. I start to, whether, um, I'll just use an, ex an example for, with my husband and I, just when we get into what I like to think is starting to be a productive conversation about something that we can be doing better for one another or for the day. And then we start to add to it. Uh, well, my feelings were hurt when you said this, oh, well, last time this, and just starting adding to it. And I become so overwhelmed and I wanna fix all of the problems that are coming to my brain all at once and nothing will get and then it as she says in here she says um it's like your brain goes on haywire it, it gets haywired and it short circuits and i shut down and i just start crying and then that's so not fair to the people that are dealing with me in the conversation because it feels like it feels like a tool i'm using which it is not it is a coping mechanism i'm using to deal with this flooding. So when I, what I'm gonna start doing now is when I start to feel those tears welling up in me, I know this is the time to take a break. And I've actually already discussed this chapter with my husband so that we could be open about it. So he knows when I feel, I'm feeling flooded, I don't wanna put this on you or me, so we need to take a break. And I often go and do a five minute meditation, which is, really, really working for me. So thanks for listening to my TED talk on flooding. I mean, my Brene Brown talk. On <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear what other people have to say. Uh, Deanna, you reminded me of my early days with my husband where the trauma would be touched and I couldn't even operate. And he would get angry because he did feel like it was a tool of manipulation. And, um, and we had to learn the strategy, take a break, come back take a break, come back. And I think it's that fear of abandonment that would keep me um, in there. You know, uh, Brene says she thought fighting together seemed less painful than hurting alone. Anybody else want to jump in and respond to this term and this phrase about flooding? Hey, Christina. Yes. Hello. Um, Alice here. I um I actually just had this experience yesterday. Um, when they come in to uh, do an estate sale, you're supposed to get everything out of the house that you don't want to sell. And you're supposed to, you can have a designated area on each floor if you want to put things. And of course, I there's no way I could get a mover lined up fast enough to take all my stuff, my stuff I'm taking with me to Tennessee before the estate sale person went to come in and start. So she came in yesterday for the first day and I was upstairs in my bedroom and I was tidying up my last bits. And I understand that I've been at this for two and a half weeks, 10 to 12 hours a day. I'm absolutely exhausted. 
I'm emotionally just completely spent because I'm leaving my house of 25 years and my community of 35. And, you know, I've gone through the whole emotional roller coaster of clearing out years and years of stuff. And she walked up to me and I know she didn't mean it this way later. I knew she didn't mean it this way, but she said to me, I thought you were going to have this all done. And I went, I just burst into tears. So I can identify Deanna when you say that, because that, that, I mean, I know part of it was exhaustion. Part of it was emotion, had nothing to do with her comment, but it was like a judgment of why the hell didn't you get this done? And my father showed up in the room immediately and the cortisol just coursed through my body. And I think that's like the flooding. It's the cortisol that just, and I know that's not healthy for me and I know it's not good. And the gal who's been working with me, helping me, she just touched my arm and it was just that human touch. And I looked at her and she's, you know, she just like looked at me like, it's going to be okay. And I, I just turned and looked at the woman and I said, I really didn't need to hear that. And I'm doing the best I can. And, you know, and, and got myself together and just continued on because I had to, but also because I knew I had done the best I could do, but boy, that flooding perfect term. I can't wait to read the chapter. And um, yeah, that's, for me, that was, that was a perfect example of it. And again, it, to me, it's that cortisol that just, you know, jumps up and flows through every cell in your body for a split second. And that's all it takes. So anyway, that's what I have to say. That's a great example. Kathy, you and Mike, I'd love to hear what you have to say about the phrase, the flooding. I, uh, when, when I reach a certain level of an emotion, um, anger is the one that comes to mind most, but it, I go from naught to 60 pretty damn quick. Um, and I can, I can be pretty, I can be nasty. I can, I can be very, very nasty when I'm, when I'm attacked. Um, and my first instinct is to attack back. It's not to listen. It's not to pause. <coughs> Uh, it's something I'm trying to change, but um, when my mouth mouth gets loose, it's uh, it's unpleasant. Um, and I guess some of this might be resentments that I have buried deep in the situation. They come out, um, but it's the same with with every emotion I get. Once I get past a certain point, bam, um, there we are. And I don't know. I don't know. I can take. I can grieve. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I can, <clears throat> but I go like once past a certain point, I go Mediterranean with my temper, uh, with my um, temperament. I just, I just go crazy. Like, you know, hair rendering kind of rending, rending, whatever, tearing your hair out, um, throwing yourself on the ground, tantrum, grieving, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I should do something about that. <laughs> I think I prefer... Um, to be able to stick a pin, to open my palms, um, to listen. Um, and the, the first time I'm going to put myself in this situation of, of hearing possibly feedback that I don't like will be this week. Um, and I have to be prepared for that because it's, it's a professional situation. I'm, I'm, I'm out of the game for a long time, so some of my ideas aren't going to go down well. And I have to be ready for that because I can't, <laughs> I can't. I can't sound off like I do in here, um, and I can't sound off like I like I used to be. But I, I I'm hoping that sobriety is uh, is helping. But I I go for everything a hundred percent. Whatever I do is is if if I, if I apply, then then it's done, and I'm invested. Um, so yeah, flooding. Interesting word for for emotions. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I know we're just about five minutes before the end of the room, but I want to finish this last concept. And I'm totally okay with staying a little bit over, uh, Deanna, if you need to run. But I think this is really huge. She finishes the chapter out with hurt feelings. And that might seem like, well, yeah, why are we talking about hurt feelings? But it's really it's really interesting what she explains you know first of all it's one of the hardest sentences for us to say to somebody else you have hurt my feelings or i have hurt feelings um 
And one of the reasons why is because hurt feelings doesn't have a synonym, you know, very hard to describe. It's different than just being sad. It's different than just being angry. Um, she goes on to explain, you know, that telling somebody that your feelings are hurt, it's like um, that having hurt feelings, having that has a completely different connotation than just I'm angry or I'm lonely. Hurt feelings usually include anxiety, uh, jealousy, sadness, anger, loneliness, you know, all of these things. But the combination of them is a completely different experience than what it would be with each individual one. And it, research shows that when we respond to hurt feelings with anger, the other person tends to respond with more anger, <laughs> which seems kind of like obvious. But once I think that I could start, and I mean, I'm going to have to meditate on this and listen to it one more time, but just having the introduction of looking at how powerful and how big it is for me to share that I have hurt feelings, um, which are inevitable. They're in every relationship. Uh, it, the more power that it has, it's kind of like, hey, I have this big ball of information that I still haven't quite gone through, but it's important enough for me to explain it. And I'm going to give an example to to share the difference. Um, it, and this is the example that she gives. Uh, it's like wounded in pain when you talk about, there's not cinnamons for that, but death. Like if we have somebody close to us that has died, we may say, I'm really hurting. But we don't say, I have hurt feelings about her death. That's the difference between this emotion or whatever you want to call it and how more powerful hurt feelings can be. And I just want to shut up at this point because we've only got probably about five more minutes and see how that lands on some of the people that are up here. Did you have that same confusion or response or reaction to her explanation about hurt feelings, Deanna? For me, what came up was, um, I guess, a, a kind of joke that I grew up in my family was um, saying, oh, you hurt my feelings. And my dad or somebody would say, hurt is a feeling. Your feelings are not hurt. And so I'm processing this information, um, accepting that mm -hmm. it's okay mm -hmm. to have hurt feelings. And uh, what I what I'm getting from this is that, and what I got from this book was that when someone hurts me, uh, this is a quote from it, is that I have been emotionally wounded and I fear it will happen again. And, and that's getting out of the fear that it will happen again is um, how, I'm, how I'm processing the hurt feelings. Um, so that was kind of all over the place. But like I said, I'm no, processing no, it. <laughs> Really, and I have a really confusing. Yeah, no, that's it. It is. It is confusing, and it's also, you know, as I'm saying this, it can be even more confusing when I try to identify what other people think of it. So as I'm saying this, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to process what other people's thoughts on this are, just my own right now, so that I can come and have a more clear. A concept of what it means to me. So that's where I'm at with that. When you share what your father said, I was thinking about another way to kind of describe this to myself. Like if somebody steps on my big toe, it's my big toe that hurts. But if it steps on my all of my toes, then it's everything that hurts. And that's very different. You know, the big toe is the anger. Like I could be angry about something. But if somebody steps on my whole foot, then I don't really know what I feel. Does anybody else want to weigh in? Well, I just want to say, Christina, I love that analogy you just used about the big toe and the whole foot. That I like that very much. Well, I think it's important for us to kind of leave with the room and think about that phrase and how powerful that is um, and sharing it with somebody. Um, and recognizing that when we do have hurt feelings, it is bigger than just one feeling. I so appreciate everybody that came up. Um, I know that this is a, a, a conversation that isn't light, 
And I love that week after week, people come into Recover Life discussions and are willing to kind of go there uh, with me and with Deanna. And I hope that um, you all will mark your calendars for tomorrow. Uh, we'll be back talking about setting healthy boundaries, which are a big, big part of developing trust and the, you know, the cognitive belief of trust and how we can do that, which obviously allows us to connect deeper. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.